job. <clears throat> you can find your seat again. All right. As you are um, finding your seat, I'll ask the uh, trivia question of the morning. Anybody know what tomorrow is? Halloween, wrong. Live from the pit of hell. Not All Saints Day, that's November the 1st. Reformation Day, thank you very much. Score one for the ladies in the back. Uh, 505 years ago tomorrow, that's got to go backwards to go forward. 505 years ago tomorrow, Martin Luther went up to a church in Wittenberg, Germany. He nailed 95 theses, not Reese's, thesis on, uh, on the wall of that church, and that was the beginning, most would say, of the Protestant Reformation. If you're here in this Protestant church, that moment was momentous for you. It was uh, a beginning of the church recognizing once again this reality that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not, a, not from our works, God's poured out his grace on us in Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, Jesus does all the work. So we, we celebrate that. Now, we got some other things going on in our culture and candy and so forth and things like that. <clears throat> but maybe most important is what we celebrate tomorrow. Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has done the work. It's uh, providentially curious to me, an old Presbyterian, who uh, that of all days on this Reformation Sunday, I would be speaking from James chapter 2, 14 to 26. If you don't know that, James, you'll find out in, in the next 20 minutes, James 2, 14 to 26 is about the relationship between faith and works. And actually, one of the trickier passages in the New Testament to understand how faith and works relate to one another. So I feel like it's an invitation from God for us to proclaim the gospel today. The good news of Jesus that nothing we can do earns us favor with God. And yet, when we have received grace from God, we will not be able to stop the love that pours out of us. That's the good news of the gospel. So I'm going to read James 2, 14 to 26. Why don't you stand while I read? If you have a Bible, turn to it. It will be on the screen for a little bit here, but James chapter 2, 14 to 26. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for the inspiration of this scripture. For even this day that we get to declare the good news of the gospel and the outworking of the gospel in and through lives of faith. So Holy Spirit, come. We, we just ask that you would speak your word of truth into each heart and mind this morning. That we would walk out of this place different than the way we walked in because we'd be more like Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, may as well tell you right up front, my guess is we might go a little long this morning. Don't worry, we won't go past two. Uh, we might go a little long this morning, and mainly because uh, I feel like the words that the Lord gave me for us are important, and uh, every single word. So I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna short us this morning. I'm just gonna run on through. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got half a clap. <laughs> uh, I will start with this, uh, providentially curious. It is no accident that you are here today. I've seen a lot of people that I haven't seen in a while and happy to see them back. Um, and uh, it's, it's no accident. God just doesn't do accidents. What he does is providence. What he does is sovereignly control the universe so that his will will be done. And you're a part of that this morning. So take it as God's word, however the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. Last week, Adam talked about favoritism. And Adam said from the uh, beginning of uh, James chapter 2, favoritism has no place in the body of Christ because it's damaging both to the individual soul and to the collective family. It's inconsistent with the law of the Old Testament, favoritism, and inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus, who loved all freely and equally. And so James now is going to take a little bit of a turn, and he's going to move from here's what not to do, play favorites and be partial, and here's what you must do, act on your faith. So it's not just what not to do, but what we have to do, not just what to avoid, favoritism, but what to embrace, love in action. And I'm going to use these words interchangeably, mercy, love, love in action, deeds, works, always to communicate that something that comes from the believer is the love of God given to the believer. So whatever the relationship between faith and works, and you can read commentaries, um, I'm not exaggerating, people have died over this. I mean, Reformation, uh, I don't know what you know about the Reformation. It wasn't a party. Um, and there were some evil things that happened. There were some grand things that happened. It turns out there was a bunch of humans involved in the Reformation. So it was messy. But whatever the relationship between faith and works, James hits it really hard right here. And he says, whatever the relationship, faith and works work together. 
they go together. You don't separate them in the life of the believer. So don't believe that your works will save you or bring you any favor from God. That was a big part of the Reformation. Don't believe that. They won't. There's nothing that you can do that will bring you closer to God in terms of favoring grace. Nothing that you can do past what Jesus has done to get you anything else from God. He loves you as much as he ever will and can't love you more because of Jesus because of who you are in him. So don't believe that your works can save you. Don't also believe that no matter what you say you believe, you can live however you want, because you've completely missed the gospel of Jesus if you do that. Paul makes it clear that we're saved by grace through our faith relationship to Jesus, and it's not as a result of works. When Paul, um, that's Paul. We're, I know we're in James, but I got to talk a little bit about Paul. When Paul was talking about works in Romans and in Ephesians and in Galatians, you read that word works. Paul is talking about keeping the Torah, the Old Testament. Paul's talking about any way that people think they might be able to be good enough in God's sight to get God's favor. And you know what he says to that? Uh, not going to work. You can't obey your way into heaven. You believe your way into heaven because of what Jesus has done. Paul's adamant, works won't earn favor. Now James, in the book of James, is coming at the same thing from a different angle. And James is talking about what it looks like to live out the command of the scripture to love God with all your heart and to love others as yourself. He's talking about what it looks like for a believer to live that out. A lifestyle of loving and merciful action. So he starts off boldly. Hey, what if you, you say you have faith and you don't do anything, you don't help anyone? Is that any good? The implied answer is not on your life, pal. It's in the Greek, pal. So if you're counting on your works to make up for your sin this morning, if you walked in here and you're counting on your works, whatever you do, have done, will do, to pay for your sin, to earn you way into favor, your way into favor with God, let me just kindly say, stop it. It's not going to work. You cannot work your way into God's favor. But don't stop actively loving God and others. In other words, faith and works cannot be divorced. They live together in the life of of a believer. Loving action doesn't define faith. It describes faith. Loving action doesn't define faith. You don't get faith by what you do. It describes faith. If you've got faith, your life's going to look like it. And I'd just like to say as a, as a pastor in this church, I know a lot of your lives. Praise God, your lives look like it. Faith gets expressed when 19 people take a week of vacation and go to a third world country to serve people and to love people. Think about that, 19 people. That's like more than 20% of the number of people that show up here on a Sunday morning. 20% of our church went to serve the poor in Roatan. That's the people we are. That's the people you are. All right, that's the introduction.
Uh, turn to James 2, and if you just stick your nose in that, James 2, 14, we're going to go verse by verse. I won't say a thousand words about each one, but I, I feel like it's important that we go through this scripture God's given to us. James says, what good is it, verse 14, if my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith, faith save them? The implied answer to that question is no, it can't. That's, that's the way he puts it. You, you, it. This type of faith that has no works with it is not going to save you. He's describing here the faith that saves. So what's the good to claim faith and do nothing? James is really clear. It's no good. What he's really saying is it's not faith. We may have all been at times in our lives in that place where we were claiming faith and not living it out. Maybe there was a time early in in your Christian life where you wanted to be connected to Jesus and the church, but you didn't truly believe. And so your life had no output because your heart had no input. Jesus wasn't really present. Anyone know what that feels like to try to live a Christian life without the Christ? (laughs) without the Christ within you, it happens. We try it. So to claim faith in Jesus and not be merciful is an oxymoron. In other words, faith will act. And an absence of works proves the absence of a saving faith that can bring about any good. I feel like a real barnstormer up here tonight, but, you know, in the spirit of the Reformation, I'm going to lose my voice in this message. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. I mean, what it, the, the, the Greek words used there, it actually means, may God give you peace May you be warm, even though you're naked, and I hope you're stuffed full with food, even though you have no food. So you see the ridiculous nature of the argument. If one of them says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's a silly explanation to make the point. To claim faith and not love people is ridiculous. It's not the way of Jesus. The words of our mouth and heart are proven to be true only when actions follow our words. So, another ridiculous statement. Apparently, I can dunk a basketball. You don't believe that. I cannot dunk a basketball, but I could say I can dunk a basketball as long as I want. Until my actions prove that what I said was true, there's no truth in that statement. I'm a liar, right? I can't dunk a basketball. Now, if the basketball net was down to seven feet, guess what? I still couldn't dunk. Do you get the point? It's not what you say, it's what you do. What you do doesn't create what you say, but it proves what you say. And that's how we live out the life of faith. 
So James is saying it's not just don't show favoritism because that damages your soul and the soul of the family of God, but let your faith in Jesus and your love for all be lived out and be leaked out in your life in the world by acts of mercy. By acts of caring, when you see someone naked, you give them clothes. When you see someone hungry, you give them food. When you have the wherewithal to help, you help. That's what the follower of Jesus does. Acclaimed faith, James would say, without action is a false faith. It's a fake piety. It's saying words that make you sound and look good without any action. And I mean, I'm just saying what I think James is saying, it's a sham. Maybe worse than a sham because it's degrading. For us to say we have faith in Jesus and not to live that out degrades the speaker and the one hearing it. To, to walk out as a Christian and not let our life have evidence of the faith that's burning inside us, it makes a mockery of Jesus. You're not smiling. Okay, you're happy? One of you. Good. James 2.18 for me is a little confusing. So when I get confused in the Bible, the first place I often go is my good friend, Eugene Peterson, in the message. And this is what he, how he paraphrases James 2.18. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department as if we could divide them. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together hand in glove. It, it is important to note that as all this talk about what we do in James chapter 2 and what will faith look like in taking action, James never says, here's how many good works you would have to do. Why doesn't he say that? Because that's not his point. The point is not that works will bring favor from God. The point is that works will prove favor from God. Works coming out of our lives will show that the grace of God has been poured down upon us. His point is a faith that's claimed and not illustrated by action is a false claim to faith. So what does that mean for us? I've clamored for 10, 15 minutes. What does that mean for us this morning, right here in the middle of this passage? There may be people who claim faith in Jesus, who are connected to the community of faith, who even confess an orthodox faith. They, they know the answers. They can tell you what's, what the Bible says but who, revealed by the fact that there's no tangible love coming from them, are not believers. It's possible for someone to say, I belong to Jesus and not belong to Jesus. Read the end of Matthew 24. Jesus is pretty clear about that. There will be people who say, Lord, Lord, that last day, and he'll say, I'm sorry, I didn't know you. They claim Jesus, but they don't follow him. They claim Jesus but Jesus doesn't claim them. So what to do? Work real hard to prove that you believe. No, wrong answer. Believe so that you, you can't help but live out a righteous, loving, 
active, merciful faith. If you doubt the existence of faith in your own life, if you're here this morning and you wonder, have I come to Christ? Like, I look at my life, I get nervous. I look at my heart, I get nervous. Paul has something to say about it. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We don't read this one a lot. Paul says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, I've talked to dozens of people in my life who come to me with this question, I don't think I'm saved. I'm so afraid I've sinned too much, or I don't think God could ever accept me, or um, I haven't done enough good. I want to speak to that fear, because that fear is not what Paul or James are talking about here. They're not saying you should be very scared every day where you stand with God based on what you're doing or not doing. Exact opposite message. But James and Paul are both coming hard at the person who makes a claim of faith and there's no fruit coming out of their lives. Would you rather claim to be in Christ and go to hell or wonder and go to heaven? Man, that came out so much harder than I imagined it was going to. Here's the question. Here's the point. You don't have to wonder. 1 John 5 says, This is the promise God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Jesus. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son, no, no Jesus, no faith, does not have the life. And John goes on to say, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you would know that you have eternal life. My point is not to scare you into works this morning. My point is to speak to your heart and ask you to ask God, where am I in faith? Jesus, do you live in me? I'm not pointing anyone out back there. I don't mean to do that. But about 10 years ago, there was a man sitting in that back row. And on some Sunday, I preached the gospel. I just said, here's how you put your life in Jesus. And he walked up afterwards, stood here crying. He said, I've been here for five years, and I don't know Jesus. And he said, I need to know Jesus. And he gave his life to Christ right here. Good friend of ours in the first Bible study Jane and I were in when we first got married said, You never did anyone a favor by assuming that Jesus lives in them. So it's time for us to preach the gospel first to ourselves, so that then when the gospel is taken hold, we can preach the gospel to a world that's desperate and needy. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you think James was fun at parties? <laughs> you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. So James is making a reference here. You believe that there is one God. He's making a reference to the Shema, the, uh, the verse from uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Starts with, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your, all your soul and all your strength. Uh, and, um, an observant Jew in, in these times would speak those, that affirmation every morning and every noon and every night and every time they walked out their door just to remind themselves of what they believe, that God is one and that there's a command that goes with that reality. We should love him with all that we have. So again, James making the same point. Do you think that you can say the words of faith without living the life of faith? That is to remain oblivious to people around you who are in need and say, yes, but there's a God, but I'm not going to do anything. And James wants to make sure we understand what he's talking about when he speaks of faith. And so he refers to a demon who believes that God. Now, demons aren't Christians, right? So I think we got that clear, okay? But James is pretty clear. You know, you say that there's a God, that he's one. Great, the demons believe that. That doesn't make them disciples of Jesus. Actually, what it makes them is shake in their little demon boots because they realize there's a God above their father of lies and that they're doomed. So faith is not simply asserting a truth because demons can do that. Faith is trusting in a person, Jesus the chosen one. Believing something to be true is different than living out a tangible trust in that truth. So James describes the faith that was credited to Abraham, the faith that would obey the command to sacrifice his own son. It wasn't the sacrifice of his son that brought Abraham faith and favor from God. The sacrifice, the willing sacrifice of his son was evidence that that's how he believed God. And it was that faith that credited um, favor from God to Abraham because he showed it with his life. And so his obedience revealed the faith to which God responded, you're my friend. Verse 24. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute? Remember, she was the one that hid the spies so that they wouldn't get caught. Old Testament. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I mean, James cannot get off it, right? The action does not improve on the faith. The action proves the faith. Faith without deeds is a dead faith, and faith without works is useless. James just says it clearly. It can't save, it's ineffective, and it's dead. So you might wonder, like, who's James talking to? It seems like James is having a fight with himself, right? James is talking to some person out there 
or let's be honest, some person in here who says, as long as I say I believe, I can do whatever I want with my life. And that is as far from the gospel and the life of Jesus as we could get. Paul wrote and preached uh, definitively on the way to God by grace through faith apart from works. And yet Paul knew that some people were going to get nutty with this grace thing. And so you see in, his, in some of his letters, Paul says there are some people that are saying, well, hey, if the more I sin, the more grace I get, oh, I have a brilliant thought, why don't I sin more? So I can get more grace. And Paul says, really bad idea. Actually, Paul says, may it never be. Galatians 5, 6. Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, he's talking about you follow the Old Testament law or you don't follow the Old Testament law. These external things, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But what? Faith working through love. So it's not added works like circumcision that will win God's favor. It's faith working through love. What counts with God? Faith. What kind of faith? The faith that works through love. What counts with God is the kind of faith that by its nature produces love. The love that comes from it shows that it's in fact real living, and saving faith. And I just give a little plug here. Uh, John Piper is a dude. Uh, I don't believe uh, everything that John Piper believes, but hey, he probably doesn't believe everything I believe either. But uh, John Piper wrote a book called What is Saving Faith? And you can get it for free. So if this wasn't enough for you, you want 350 dense pages of theology and practical biblical understanding, go to desiringgod.org. Just type in, what is saving faith? You can download the book for free. He's such a dude, he gives his books away for free. Let's finish with this, verse 26. I didn't think we could just end without dealing with this last point. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He's making the point again and again and again. A body without a spirit, we call it a corpse. What do you do with a corpse? Well, if you're, at, if you're in the vineyard, here's what you do with a corpse. First, you pray for life to come back into it. Right? If, if life doesn't come back into it, which would be an act of God, and Jesus is good at it, Bill Johnson says Jesus screwed up every funeral he ever went to, including his own, right? So you pray for life to come into the corpse, and if that doesn't work, then what do you do? You grieve lifelessness. You grieve lifelessness. So James is saying if you've got a claimed faith but no works, that faith is dead, and you are a corpse, just like a body without a spirit. Faith without loving action is as dead as a corpse and equally useless. Two important things I want to end with. If you're a corpse this morning, come to Jesus. 
if, if you are living death this morning, if you don't know that you know Jesus, if you don't know the reality of grace and love in your life, you don't know forgiveness of sin, you don't know redemption, you don't know freedom in some significant way because Jesus has encountered you spirit to spirit, then you're dead, and guess what? You get to come to Jesus. You do not have to walk out dead just because you walked in dead. You get to come to Jesus. What do you do with a corpse without a spirit? You ask for life to come into it. And this morning, any person here, sitting, watching, listening, reading these notes, can come to Jesus because Jesus is calling you. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. I want to give you life. Come to the Father through me. So, if you're a corpse, come to Jesus and get life. If you're alive, give your life away. If you're alive, give your life away. If faith is doing its work in you, if grace has, has encountered you if, you, if you're changed from the inside out, then give your life away. I'm not talking about how many works need to be done. I'm just saying give your life away like Jesus gave his life away. And I promise not based on my integrity, on the integrity of Jesus himself, if you ask Jesus, how would you like me to give my life away in loving action, he will speak to you. He, he will tell you. He will guide you. He will open up opportunity for you. Because the love of Jesus in you wants to get out to a world that needs it. Let's stand. The ministry team could come forward, and Adam, if you've got some words, I want to pray, but then if you've got some words, we'll minister. Faith and works can't be separated. Do you have faith this morning? Are you alive? If not, and you know it, no shame, just an invitation to the life of Jesus this morning. Talk to me. Talk to anyone on the ministry team. Talk to whoever invited you this morning to meet life itself. What I'm wondering this morning is if God in us is spurring some new reformation. Is there something that God's stirring in you this morning? A, 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 a faith action, a life of mercy, something that's stirring in you that you realize, God, I have a faith, but you want to shake it. You want a little fire in my bones here this morning then again, come to Jesus and say, Jesus, this faith that feels like a little, I want you to use in grand ways. The last question I'll ask is this. What are you going to do with your favor? The grace of God, the favor of God is yours in Christ. What are you going to do with it? Not out of guilt, not to pay for or to pay back, but motivated by grace. What are you going to give away to the world in the name of Jesus? God, we ask you um, that you would speak to us as you have been speaking through your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and touch minds and hearts. Any sort of um, restless human activism, we just we say no to now in the name of Jesus. God, send down your grace upon us. Bring those to faith who don't know you empower and motivate those by grace who do to go out in the world and let the favor of God move through them.
In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we've got a couple of words this morning um, that we've, I think the Lord wants to do. Uh, one person had a picture of people in a boat. They just kind of feel adrift, uh, kind of like things are just moving them around and need uh, feel like they need the encouragement from Hebrews 6.19, which says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And so it was the sense that some here need the encouragement this morning that uh, if you feel adrift in your life, um, that if you've trusted Jesus, you have that firm and secure anchor. Uh, the other ones have to do with um, I think the Lord really wants to address guilt and shame this morning. One person had a picture of people wearing pajamas that are too small. And they realize that even though they're walking around, they look ridiculous. Uh, the thought of um, getting rid of those and, and receiving God's love um, was kind of too much. So they keep kind of wearing these too small pajamas of, of guilt and shame. Uh, similar to that, what a person saw um, somebody praying with their, their eyes closed and their head bowed down. And in the Psalms, it talks about lifting up our eyes to heaven because that's where our help comes from. And that God, like a parent, wants to look into your eyes, that you're avoiding eye contact with them. I think, again, ties us guilt and shame. And God wants to look into your eyes, wants to deal with that, that guilt and shame. And then again, similar, just seeing pictures of uh, Jesus stepping between me and my sin and shame, uh, that there was a blast heading toward me, uh, one that I felt like I deserved because of my sin and shame. And Jesus caught me saying, I'm yours forever, and put himself between me and the blast. And, and God's love poured poured out through Jesus and uh, and he chose that it would break him instead of breaking me uh, when it was done. So again, if if you're feeling if any of that's resonating around guilt and shame, we want to we want to pray for you or or feeling feeling adrift in your life right now and need reminded um, that you have that anchor in your soul. Come get prayer. Right now's the time. If you want someone to pray for you, come forward or, or turn and pray with someone with you. Just as we go, I want to uh, give you the, the good news from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may God who puts all things together and makes all things whole, who made a lasting mark through the sacrifice of Jesus, the sacrifice of blood that sealed the eternal covenant, who led Jesus, our great shepherd, up and alive from the dead, may he put you together provide you with everything you need to please him. Make us into what gives him most pleasure by means of the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and ever.
always. Amen. Go in peace.